Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. A look at uh, a handful of scriptures tonight that have to do with light, light as a spiritual concept, and then make some observations on a passage or two and... Uh, at least one application. And I guess a good place to start would be in John chapter 1. Pretty familiar passage if you're a New Testament reader. And beginning in verse 1, John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. That's uh, probably a better translation there. Uh, This is talking about Jesus, obviously. The Word is Jesus. Calls him the Word. It says that in him was the light, uh, life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. This is a beautiful illustration of a uh, sin-sick world, which we've been looking at in uh, pretty, pretty good detail on Sunday mornings as we go through the book of Romans. So what Paul spends the first part of his letter doing is making the case that everybody's in sin, and sin leads to darkness. Jesus himself will say that, that, that really the whole world uh, is covered in darkness because of sin. And it's darkness uh, not because there is no natural light, but because there's no moral light. It's the darkness of blind people, blind trying to lead the blind. And then light entered the world when truth, when life entered the world. And that was Jesus. That was the Word of God made flesh. God the Son taking on flesh in the likeness of sinful man, but not sinful himself. And that life was the light of men. And then in John chapter 8... He says this, says that uh, he himself, Jesus himself, says in verse 12, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I'm going to make a comment on this here in just a second. But this was right after he rescued the woman who'd been caught in adultery. They were getting ready to stone her to death. And that was right after the Pharisees had tried to have him arrested for claiming to be the Christ and the Son of God. And that was right after he made the comment we were looking at last week when he said, uh, uh, I'm the bread, you have to eat my body and drink my blood, or two weeks ago, I think. So all these things kind of building, you know, Jesus is really getting popular with a lot of people. And uh, I want you to look at this scene. It's really not part of the main thrust of this message, but I do want you to see this. uh, It's a very familiar story, but it's only, you know, 11 verses long, so let's read it. This is the story of the woman caught in adultery. It says, Jesus went in verse 1, uh, John 8, 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst... They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in, caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. 
But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No. She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, for some reason, for years, every time I read this passage, when I get to the part where Jesus says, Woman, where are your accusers? Because it says he looks around and saw no one. I picture Jesus and the woman standing in an empty square. Nobody within sight. That wasn't the case. There were still Jesus' hearers there, the people he'd been preaching to before the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery. When it says he looked around and saw no one, he meant none of her accusers. That's all it means, because look what he says next. Then Jesus spoke to them again. Spoke to who? The people who were there witnessing this whole thing. They didn't come to Jesus. It wasn't just Jesus, the woman, and the, and the accusers. They came in public to embarrass Jesus because they thought they had him. Well, so if you, we'll put him on the spot, make him defend himself in public. And so they were publicly humiliated, or humbled at least, when they had to drop their stones and walk away. And Jesus was able to make this statement in public. Jesus spoke to them in verse 12, again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, there's a little clue here, uh, and it's simply this. Walking with Jesus keeps us in the light. I want you to remember that, because here's, what, here's the one I really want to look at tonight, and it's John chapter 9. You know I love John chapter 9. It's my favorite, uh, my favorite miracle story in the Gospels, when he heals the man born blind. And uh, we will look at uh, verse 1 here. John 9, 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, stop there for a second. Is it true if we just take that verse out of context? And Jesus said, Neither this man sinned nor his parents does that line up with everything else the Bible says about sinful humanity? Did this man ever sin? Yeah. Well, how do we know? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Did this man's parents sin? Yes, they did. How do we know? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. What's Jesus saying? He gotta, it, context is so important. All he's saying is his sin and his parents' sin have nothing to do with his blindness. That's not the issue. That's not the question you need to be asking. The question you, as somebody who's walking in the light, should ask is, what can I do for this man? What did Jesus say? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God, the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, we're going to unpack this just a little bit. Number one, verse four, where it says, I must do the works of him who sent me. A much better translation is we. 
we must do the works of him who sent me. All right? Uh, most of the modern translations with, uh, with, who had access to uh, later or earlier manuscripts do translate it we. I know the New American Standard Bible does. I think the NIV does. I'm not sure. Uh, but it's important, and, and you'll see. It, I mean, it's an important difference anyway, but it'll become more important as we uh, journey through this. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Uh, and when he goes on to say, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's what this can kind of sound like. And this is what I think a lot of people think they're reading when they read this. They think Jesus is saying, uh, I've got to do everything God told me to do during the short time I'm on the earth. Because once I'm gone, I'm gone and nobody can do these things anymore. As long as I'm here, there's light. But when I'm gone, I think people think after the ascension, then we're sort of plunged back into darkness where we have to wait until he returns in his glorious light again. Certainly, they think that way uh, with regard to miracles. Uh, the, the works that Jesus, that God told Jesus to do, he only told Jesus to do, eh, maybe a few disciples uh, but as long as he was in the world, he could do these things. But we're not going to see that again until he comes back. I, I don't know. I don't, wouldn't exactly know how to phrase that. Uh, but I do want to tell you that's the wrong way of looking at this verse. When he says, I must work the works of him who sent me. Number one, notice that. He's not saying, I must do the things God told me to do. I must work the works of him. In other words, the work I'm doing is God's work. It's my father's work. We've said this before. In fact, very recently I quoted George MacDonald who said, the miracles of Jesus were his father's normal works, wrought small and swift so we might take them in. The things that Jesus did were nothing more or less than the things that God has always done and always does and always will do. Why did Jesus heal? Because he came to show us the father and his father is a healing God. Period. All right? So the works, I must work the works of him who sent me, his works, God works, while it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. Uh, let me, yeah, let's go ahead and address, I was going to kind of come back around to that, but since we're sitting here right now, let's, let me tell you what I, what I think that means. It could be a reference to the crucifixion that there's going to be a temporary time. You know, he's going to work right up until the time his life is taken away. And then that the night is the three days he spent in the ground. Okay? Uh, so it's a very temporary ceasing of his work due to the crucifixion. I actually think it's more likely that it's a reference to the fact that we all have this one life in which to do uh, the work of the Father, to manifest the Father uh, because of the work we are doing. You understand? He, uh, and and this will make sense here. Maybe I should have come back around to it. So maybe we'll come back to it. Let's look at something else here first. In uh, first, now let's look at Matthew chapter 5. You know this one. Some of you may even already know where I'm going. But beginning in verse 13, uh, sorry, verse 14, it says this. Matthew five fourteen. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, 
nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, now what do we do with that? We're all very familiar with it. Sermon on the Mount, we've probably heard it a hundred times. But who's the light of the world? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. On the other hand, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. So who's the light of the world? Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. I think what he was speaking here in Matthew, he was speaking prophetically. All right? Uh, I also, just kind of as a side journey here, I like that when he talks about, when he says, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, Russ was telling me last night, did Russ leave already? Is he in here? Yeah, there he is. He was telling me he was, uh, just the other night, he was uh, able to see the International Space Station. Everybody ever catch that as it flies overhead? You can, you can get a, download an app that will tell you when you could see it, which is almost every day. Some days are, are better views than other, but when it's the more directly overhead it is, the, the brighter it is. But you've got a couple minutes to watch this thing zipping across the sky. And uh, many of you, I'm sure, uh, maybe not everybody's as fascinated, uh, as fascinated with space travel as I am, but many of you, I'm sure, have seen the images that they've been able to send back from outer space, even some of the early orbital flights uh, from early in the uh, space program. But some of the things I really like to see, and in fact, uh, there's, there's an account of it uh, in uh, John Glenn's biography where he talks about uh, his, he was the first American to orbit the Earth. And when he flew over, I want to say it was Perth, Australia, everybody in the city, it, it was after midnight when he flew over, you know, their time when he flew over, but everybody in the city left all the lights on uh, just to see, just so he could see the city. Now, you're flying, he was flying at, uh, what, was, what was his orbital height, 150 miles, anybody remember? 100, 150 miles, not quite as high as the space station is, but that's a long way up, and from up there, you're not going to see a dude with a flashlight. Probably not going to see one house with all the lights on. But a city. You see a city. All right? It's a lot easier to hide your light if you're by yourself. It's a lot more dangerous. You know? They see one person out there with that light and it's easy to zero in on you. But there's a city. People are a little slower to attack a city, aren't they? We're, we're a, little, a, little more, a little more well defended. But we're also more visible. Uh, this is just one more plea and one more reminder that we are more potent, we are more effective, uh, and we're better when we're together. We're brighter when we're together. You're the, yeah, you, listen, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. But really, we are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Amen? Okay. So, so he says this, and uh, then keep that in mind. And in 1 John, 1 John now, not John, but 1 John 1, says this, uh, beginning in verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we're going to shine like a star in heaven. Oh, sorry. Anybody remember that song? Little DC talk? Sorry. Wow. Want to be in the light. All right, okay. We, that's not really what it says, though, is it? Somebody was trying to quote that verse one time. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll shine like the stars in the heavens. Like, no, 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 no. That's not. Anyway. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, listen. God is light and in him is no darkness. How do we walk in the light? We walk in fellowship with Jesus Christ. We walk in obedience. We, it's a matter of choosing where to walk and how to walk. Remember that. Remember Matthew chapter 5. Let me look at one more before I make some comments. I'll try to tie all these together after I read them. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, which says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, very, very clear from these New Testament, post-resurrection, post-ascension authors that we have access to the light of Christ today. And that we're supposed to be walking in it, and we're supposed to be living in it, and it's supposed to be shining through us now. And I think, again, when Jesus said, it's simply a matter of the timing, it's a matter of the order, it's a matter of delegated authority and responsibility— He says in John 9, as he's getting ready to heal the blind man, and I just love his whole approach. His disciples, bless their hearts, they're always trying to be, uh, trying to pass themselves off as uh, theologically sophisticated. You know, Peter, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times, you know? And then this time, uh, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus is like, it ain't about who sinned. We You're walking with the Christ, the Son of God, and we just came across a blind man. I'm going to show you what God does when he encounters brokenness, when he encounters sickness, when he encounters blindness. We must work the works of my Father while it is still day. Nighttime's coming, and when this life is over, we can't do it anymore. Now, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And I can sense this urgency. Watch me. Watch how I work. Listen to my words. Look at me so you know how the Father is. Because once I'm gone, guess what? You're the light of the world. And you've got to be walking in the same light. The source of your light has got to be the same as my source of light, which is the truth of God the Father. You're going to have the same word. You're going to have the same power. They don't quite know it yet, but they're going to have the same Holy Spirit indwelling them and empowering them and leading them and guiding them so that they know exactly how to respond. What's the the closest parallel uh, to this that I see after the ascension is right after the day of Pentecost when Peter and John walk into the temple. They go up to the, the gate called Beautiful, and there's the lame man. Uh, give me, give me money. I can't walk. Give me, please, please, give me something. They look at him. Look at us. We don't have any silver or gold, but what we're about to give you, we're giving you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. They just, they didn't have to. Hang on, just a second. What should we do? Should we give this guy money? Should we go back? And, should we go back and take up a collection? Should we pray for him and see what God does? They immediately knew what to do. They were walking in the light. And this is the light that we're commanded to walk in in these later letters that Peter writes, that Paul writes, and that John writes, right? So, 
As long as we are in the world, we are the light of the world. In the next world, where does all the light come from? Read Revelation. There's no sun, no moon. The light comes from God himself. So we are the light of the world. And I've got a couple of last questions. If we must do the work of the Father as long as it is light, just as Jesus did, what is the work of the Father today? What was the work of the Father for Jesus? Well, everywhere he went, he did the work of the Father. Everywhere he went. Now, some places he went, uh, he fed thousands of people. He did that more than once. Some places he went, he walked on water to at least for at least part of the journey. Uh, some places he went, in fact, a lot of places he went, he cast out demons. But everywhere he went, he taught, he preached, and he healed. So when Jesus says, go all of you into the world and preach the gospel. Teaching them to do all I have commanded you. Making disciples of all men. This is what we are to do. We're supposed to do it like he did it. God's, God, does God change? No. When Jesus said, I only do that which I see my Father doing. When Jesus said, I must do the works of him who sent me. His works. Uh, if God doesn't change, and if he was a healer 2,000 years ago, is he still a healer? Is doing the work of the Father going to include healing? Yes, is it, is it restricted to that? Absolutely not. Are there still demons? Yes, there are. And when we encounter them, we need to remember that we have authority to cast them out. It's not something we're going to do every day. It's not something we're going to do with every person we meet. But we're going to have a lot of opportunities to uh, preach the gospel, to teach people, and to heal. To heal the sick. These are the things that Jesus did everywhere. They were the works of his Father, the works that he did, the work he's commanded us to do. This is one of the most important points that we're seeing in Romans. Uh, praise and worship team, you can actually be making your way on up here. I told you it was a short one tonight. This is one of the most important uh, points we're making in Romans, which is that God did not ever change his plan. Old Testament plan looks a lot different from the New Testament plan, but it wasn't a matter of, well, this law stuff isn't working. Guess I'm going to have to go to the earth as Jesus and really fix this. Righteousness was always God's plan for us. Always his call. Always what we were supposed to be walking in. Because God wants to bless us. And the blessing is for the righteous. So he calls us to be righteous, knowing that we aren't. And so what did he do? He gives us righteousness on credit. Going clear, at least back to, really before Abraham, but it, come, it, it says it in concrete terms for Abraham. It says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It didn't say Noah was perfect. It said he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Then you get Abraham, and it said what? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness or for righteousness. Righteousness on credit, 2,000 years before Jesus Christ came. And then we get the law, and we get the sacrifice system. All of these things were just pictures of God's plan A. Plan A was always Jesus. So, righteousness was always something credited to us because of our faith in him. God does not change, and God's work does not change. Jesus, the light of the world, 
taught, preached, and healed, so should we. As we live the gospel and as we preach the gospel, we should always remember, what's the verse we just read in Romans on Sunday? If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he'll also quicken your mortal body. Is he talking about the general resurrection? Not in that passage, he's not. Read it in context. He's going to empower you to live the life that Jesus lived. Jesus is not saying, he's not just saying, did he live a life that's an example to us? Absolutely. But did he say, all right, watch what I do and then, then just imitate me? No. He's not saying, all right, I lived this life and now I'm going to measure you against the life I lived on earth. He's not, he's not calling us to live a particular way. He is calling us to yield ourselves to him so that he can live through us that life that he's calling us to live. And it takes practice. It really does. But it really is a rest. It is such a joy to know that this is God's work, not mine. But I have to be willing to obey. I have to be willing to be taught. And I have to understand always, every time I blow it, and I think the last time was 1992, I think, that even back then, boy, are you guys paying attention? <laughs> that, was a, that was a time, 1992. That was, uh, no, that's not a time, is it? Uh, anyway, every time I blow it, I know I'm forgiven. Same passage. I stopped short of it in, uh, in 1 John. The same passage that tells me I can walk in the light tells me that I'm forgiven if I confess my sin. 1 John 1, 9, right? Stand up with me. I want, I want to offer you an opportunity, first of all. This, this life that we as believers are supposed to be living is so exciting. And I think sometimes we get bummed because it just seems so hard. Are there hardships? Absolutely there are. You know, Paul did so much right, and he taught us so much about victorious Christian living. And then in, in a couple places in his letters, he lists all the things that were hard about it. And it was tough. Stuff that I sure don't want to go through. Shipwrecks and beatings and stonings. And yet he said... I almost hesitate to even write about these things because they're not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. The stuff we're going through now, number one, Jesus is going through it with us. And number two, the way he, we're going to be glorified when this is all over, it's going to make all that stuff seem just like even less than a bad dream. It's an exciting life. And it leads to life everlasting. And I want to invite you into that if you've not entered into that. How do you know if you've entered into it? You know. If you're unsure, then you probably haven't made that step. And the step simply looks like this. Father, I recognize from your word that everybody's a sinner and everybody includes me. Good as I try to be, I can't meet your standard of righteousness. That's why you sent Jesus. And I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for dying my death taking my sin to the cross with you. I receive that as payment for my sin. Father, I ask you to be my Father. Jesus, be my Lord. I believe in you, and I believe God raised you from the dead. That's the sinner's prayer. 
you pray that prayer and you're not a sinner according to the Bible anymore. It doesn't mean you'll never sin. It means in terms of your identity, you're now a child of God. So I want to ask you, is there anybody in here who's never prayed that prayer or something like it? Would you like to make Jesus Christ your Lord tonight? If you do, we're going to sing a song here in a minute. And I want you to come up here and just let me pray with you. All right? Meanwhile, everybody else. This isn't necessarily an altar call. I just want to urge you, stir you up by way of reminder, to use uh, Peter's phraseology, of the powerful truth that the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead does dwell in you. And that we are to be the light of the world exactly like Jesus was the light of the world. Now, why doesn't our light shine as brightly? Anybody know? It's because I think the windows are kind of dirty sometimes with sin. And we ought to constantly go back to the cleansing water of the Word. Confess our sins, speak the Word over our lives, and again, come together. My light not, might not be shining so brightly, but when we come together, our collective light is something not for who's it for is it for god well ultimately it's for his glory but who's supposed to be seeing this light the world right the world around us now we can do you can do and you can do we can individually and we should be good neighbors uh have you know individual conversations but according to jesus the one thing above all that's going to cause people to know that we're his disciples is our relationship with one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. So let's commit to be committed. Let's, com let's remind ourselves just how important this is. Right here on a Wednesday night, the, the, I don't know I don't, how many people are in this room tonight. There's probably a little over 100 in the building tonight. And our love is supposed to be such a source of light that it will draw the attention of the world. It's a good place to start, isn't it? And we've got to be bold. We've got to be willing uh, to reach out and minister healing and truth and the opportunity for others to give their lives to Christ. Never be afraid to share your testimony. Never be afraid to invite somebody, just like I invited you just now. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And then if you want to get saved, come on up here. Everybody else, spend this time truly worshiping the Lord reminding yourself of who you are in Christ and who you are as a member of His body. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.